We're going to teach on prayer and fasting for these three weeks. This was week one, and then week two, and then week three. And then after week three, the Monday after, we'll start into a season of 21 days prayer and fasting. Now, it's not an obligation. You don't have to do it. No one's forcing you to sign up to this. It's an invitation. And we would invite you and encourage you to consider joining us in this collective season of prayer and fasting in three weeks' time. So, as I was thinking about it, I was like, man, what do we do? Prayer and fasting, you know, want to have a good snappy um, sermon series title, you know, and we've got this beautiful artwork, you know, and you, you, you're like, man, Clint, your title's kind of letting you down, you know? The artwork's great, but the title's kind of letting you down. See, see my, my first thought was, well, let's just go with the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, right? Let's go with His words. They're usually pretty good. He said, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's probably a good one for a fasting series, don't you think? I was like, oh, no, maybe, maybe people won't fully get it, right? But um, it's kind of how I think about when I often come to fasting, right? I'm like, yeah, well, Lord, the Spirit's willing, but boy, the flesh is really weak. And the minute you try and fast for any season of time, you realize just how weak that flesh really is. Um, Jesus kind of knew what he was talking about, but... um, no, we didn't, we didn't end up going with that. We just kind of kept it simple. So um, you'll notice, like, this is called prayer and fasting part one. Next week is prayer and fasting part two. And then a week after that will be prayer and fasting part three. Um, just, just for clarity's sake. We don't want to be uh, confusing people or anything like that. But here's really the burden that I bring, because I do bring a bit of a burden today. Is that all right? I bring a bit of a burden and a calling to fast and pray. And a lot of my thinking has been shaped by this, this phrase or this saying from Mark Sayers. Mark Sayers is a pastor and author and whatnot from Melbourne. Um, he's been over in New Zealand recently. And for a couple of years now, he's been over and over and over again reminding us that crisis precedes renewal. Crisis precedes renewal. You look throughout the scriptures, you look throughout human history, there are so many, many examples of this where a moment of crisis happens The people respond, and they enter into, and then renewal comes. This is just played out over and over and over again, over and over, and I think it's our moment too. You you go, oh yeah, Clint, yeah, yeah, global pandemic, that's that's crisis, right? And not only that, you know, it's like the, think about all the stuff that's kind of the knock-on effects of this, you know, it's not just a health crisis, but it's an economic crisis, right? It's not just an economic crisis, but it's actually flowing out in our social interactions, right, where there's more division and controversy and all this stuff going on. It's been so politicized and hyped up, but it's not just those things. It's crept its way into the church, hasn't it? And we're seeing what looks like churches just kind of blowing up all over the place, and so people are calling it a church leadership crisis, and I go, yeah, it's all of those things. I'm not saying it's none of, it's not. It, it really is. There's serious things at play, but here's my, here's my big thing. When I, when I think about crisis precedes renewal, I think at the root of it all, what the pandemic has, has, has done is it's been a great revealer. It's almost like pulled back the layers and the covers, all those things that we were pretty good at covering up the root issues and the causes that were really going on, and it's accelerated the trajectories that were already set before the pandemic began. And here's what we're seeing. I think, friends, the crisis is a crisis of discipleship a crisis of discipleship. I think what we're seeing in our own lives and in our churches as, as, as the pandemic continues to wag its little tail, right, is, is we continue to see that we're not as resilient disciples as we maybe thought we were. We're not as anchored and rooted and deep and well-formed in the likeness of Jesus as maybe we would like to be. And so I think crisis precedes renewal, but there's a huge, there's a huge but in the way because it's a conditional statement. Did you know that? It's not a guaranteed. Crisis doesn't guarantee renewal. It's if we will respond to crisis well. 
if we will pursue the things of God, if we will pursue health and healing and restoration of our souls, then renewal is likely to follow. See, we all talk, you hear a lot of talk at the moment around this word resilience, don't we? We go, yeah, we want that, you know, resilient disciples, yes, amen, that's what we need, we need more resilient disciples, but there's a lot more to say on this, I'll come back to it in a moment. But you're probably going, okay, Clint, well, what does all this have to do with prayer and fasting? Um, well, I believe that we're in a crisis of discipleship, and as God's people have done down throughout history, the burden I'm bringing is for us, as the people of God, to respond to this crisis with prayer and fasting. That's the burden I bring. And that's what I want to unpack over these next three weeks as we prepare for a church-wide season of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now, that'll happen beginning on Monday, the 22nd of August and finishing up on Sunday, the 11th of September. That'll be our season of prayer and fasting, 22nd of August till the 11th of September. My hope and prayer is, especially for those who might choose to join and participate in this, is that these next three weeks will really help you to prepare well. So today, I'm going to focus on the big question, the kind of the big, the big, most important one, I think, in a lot of ways, is the why of fasting. Like, why should we be talking about prayer and fasting? And over the next couple of weeks, we'll unpack the what of fasting and the how of fasting and go a lot more practical on those things. But let me uh, begin with a word of prayer as we enter into this time together this morning. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that you are always with us. We thank you, God, that your word is always going forward. Help us this morning to be that good soil you speak of in the Gospels, that we would be the place where your, the seed of your word would take root. It would put roots that would go down deep and it would bring forth uh, great fruit for your namesake, for your glory and for your kingdom purposes among us. And so, God, I pray, along with all my friends here, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And we all say together, Amen, Amen. So, if this crisis that we're in, and I'm saying the response to that crisis, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm issuing a call to prayer and fasting, it's probably helpful for us to unpack the crisis a little bit and really understand the need a wee bit. So that's kind of going to give us the why, I think, in a lot of ways this morning. See, um, I don't know about you, but as I talk with people today, it seems like you ask people how you're really going, there is like one answer, right? <laughs> there is one answer at the moment. What is it? Tired, I'm weary, I'm exhausted, right? I'm just like so overrun. If we were to put like, maybe the best word for it would be, if we were to put like a big headline over our current, the state of, of, of things in our world right now, I think it would be depleted. We are in a state of depletion, right? Our mental, physical, emotional, uh, you, you know, re reserves have been so drained and so depleted that we come to see challenges and we come to see life and we can barely keep up because we're so depleted. There's just nothing in the tank anymore, right? And, and, and the truth is that I was listening to a podcast recently, and, and this uh, psychologist and counselor was, was unpacking for us that what we've been through over the last couple of years is in, in this global pandemic. He says, we're seeing all over the place these signs of trauma, symptoms of trauma from, from a prolonged season of, of like small traumatic. He, he describes it like, you know, that... that um, 
death by a thousand cuts, you know, it's, a, it's, it's been this prolonged season of like a thousand small little mini traumas that have accumulated up and we're experiencing now these symptoms of trauma. See if you can relate to any of these. Maybe you've experienced some, I know I have. He says the first one is a loss of creativity. And it's not just the sense of like a loss of one's ability to create content and generate materials that are helpful and all that stuff, but it's actually a loss of um, ability to like plan and make plans, and, or the loss of one's ability to have hopes for the future. It's all related to this loss of creativity. What about this one? A lack of patience and grace for irritable people. Anyone? Anyone? No, you don't have to raise your hands. It's okay. It's okay. You don't have to. You, like a lack of patience. This shows up all over the place, doesn't it? It's like popping up everywhere. You know, where, where someone at the, at the supermarket doesn't put their, their, their trolley back just right and all of a sudden you're all up in arms or maybe it was the same person who upstairs, you know, had 15 things in the 10 items or less lane and normally you'd be able to let that slide, you know, but you're realizing inside, I just can't let that slide anymore. I want to explode. You know what I mean? I mean, this is lack of patience and grace for irritable people going on. Or maybe, what about this one? Short-term memory loss. How many times have you or someone you know recently just been like, I completely forgot about that. I completely forgot that that's what we talked about. I completely forgot that that's the plans we made. I completely forgot. That's a symptom of trauma. Exhaustion. Yep. What about this? A desired, diminished, uh, a diminished desire for human contact. Who here, if you were honest? breathes a sigh of relief when plans cancel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? It's happening all the time, and everyone's like, oh, phew, I'm glad I don't have to, <laughs> right? I mean, this is, this is the, we can laugh about it, but the truth is, this is a symptom of trauma in our lives, and it's a symptom of dysfunction in our lives, because we're all created for connection. Now, yes, of course, you can overdo it and go too far and extend beyond the boundaries and, you know, burn yourself out, all that kind of stuff. That's not the kind of thing we're talking about, though right? We're talking about people who haven't seen anyone in like three weeks, and then they were going to see someone for the first time, and those plans canceled, and they were like, oh, phew, you know, I'm glad I don't, right? I mean, that's actually a symptom of unhealth, people, if we were to face up to it and be honest, because we're built for connection. We're built to be in, in community with one another. So, how do we recover? And we're seeing, man, there's, a, there's, this, there's this global denial playing out at the moment, like it, it, almost like we're ignoring what's really going on. And so people are rushing out to travel. They're, su they're suggesting that like this, this, um, this quarter is supposed to be like the biggest period travel quarter, you know, in like forever. You know, like everyone's figuring like, oh, we can travel again. We can get on a plane. We can go overseas. And so we do. We jump on a plane. We go to Fiji and we go to Europe and we go to Australia and America. And, and we're like, we have these amazing trips and we're just like, hey, this is going to fix everything. This is going to solve it. Well, guess what, friends? I've been on sabbatical for three months, and it wasn't my visit to Australia, and it wasn't my visit to America and seeing the family and friends that we love over there. Those things didn't fix the things going on inside my soul. I can testify to it, amen? Come on. You, you, I know you're all sitting there you're still going, no, oh, I still like the holiday, Clint. I still like to go, you know. <laughs> I get it. It's all right. It's all right. But the truth is that I think underneath all of this, we're, 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 we're just not coping with things well. We're, we're driven, we've been so like malformed into these patterns of avoidance, where this is how we'll cope with those deeper issues going on inside us. We listen through those symptoms and we go, oh, I've got all that kind of stuff. I just, I'm so depleted, I don't even have the energy to think about what it might take to address those and move towards recovery and healing, right? That's kind of the state that we're in. This is the need that is going on in our world, and let's be honest, in our own lives, isn't it? 
we are depleted and what we need is not just holding on and gritting and bearing and, you know, kind of hoping for all this too to pass by and things to kind of resettle. Like, here's the encouragement for you this morning, friends. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. This is, this moment of depletion, this moment of global crisis, this is the moment in which God wants to meet you. This is the moment in which God wants to form you and make you mature and make you more holy and make you more like Him. He doesn't want you to just kind of wait it out until it's smooth sailing again. No, this is the time when formation happens in our lives. It's when we actually press into and deal with the stuff that's being raised to the surface in moments like this. And it's happening personally, it's happening within our church, it's happening within the big C church, and it's happening throughout our world all over the place. Here, friends, here's the, here's the secret, here's the, uh, the antidote, if you want, to this state of depletion, is that we need our souls to be healed. And the only way our souls will be healed is through union with God. That's where healing comes. That's where healing is found. It's not the same thing as just having enough faith. It's not the same thing as just having the right doctrine and, you know, systems of belief and knowing the right things. No, it's not those things. We need our souls to be healed through union with God. It's what Jesus prayed for in John 17. Down in verse uh, uh, 22, he says, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent them. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Here's Here's the key phrase, verse 23. I in them and you in me. You hear it? That's intimate union. Jesus is praying that, not just for his disciples, but for everyone who believes in him, for all his sons and daughters, that that we would be in him and he in us so that we may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you, Father, have sent me, Jesus, and have loved them even as you loved me. And so, yes, we hear all this talk about building resilience and we just think if we were more resilient as disciples then maybe Jesus prayer would be realized in our lives friends the truth is you don't have to earn it you don't have to work towards it because there's a big difference between a Christian a biblical understanding of resilience and what the world understands resilience to be for the world talks about establishing boundaries and you know growing emotional health and well-being and I'm all about these things right it's all about having enough rest and these are all related right these are all good things I'm not anti those things at all but a biblical and a Christian understanding of resilience is very different see a biblical understanding of resilience shows that it's imparted. Look at Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes, this is where he's praying for the Ephesians, he says, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. Here's the key verse. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that out of His glorious riches, which, by the way, He's not in a state of depletion. He's not running on fumes. His glorious riches are inexhaustible, right? They're not going to run dry. They're not going to run empty. And out of those inexhaustible riches, He wants to strengthen you in your inmost 
being. It's imparted. That's resilience. In our inmost being, when we, are, when we receive that and the, and the Spirit of the living God breathes that life into our inmost being, that's where, from a Christian and biblical understanding, that's where resilience springs forth. That's where, actually, John, Jesus puts it this way in John 7. He says, streams of living water will overflow from within you, Right? That's the way Jesus talks about it. And the truth is that we all, we all, we all got to recognize that that source is God. God's the source. We don't need to go digging inside ourselves. We don't need to like, you know, hit the gym and kind of strengthen up ourselves and our resilience muscles or anything like that. No, it's imparted, but we need to be able to tap into it. We need to be able to discover it. We need to be able to get there because the truth is we become so avoidant and good at avoiding, right, the hard things in life that we never actually get to those deep inner parts of our lives. Instead, we exist in what one uh, for, uh, psychologist calls the, the shallows. This is where most people live their lives, you know, in the shallows of life. This is the, this is the day-to-day stuff. This is the, the news article you read this morning that you're kind of like still thinking about. This is the, the what you're going to have for lunch later. This is the, you know, the, the, all the things of life. This is the shallow things. It's the constant noise and chatter in our brains. And in our, this is where most people live most of their lives. Occasionally, though, there'll be something that'll kind of go on that will cause us to drop a little bit deeper. And he calls this next layer the Midlands of life. Isn't that helpful? You know, we move from the shallows into the Midlands. And the Midlands is what, in in biblical terms, we talk about the concerns or the worries of life or of this world. So this might be things like those of you who are worried about um, the care of aging parents. Or maybe it's the education of your children. You know, this might be things like finding the right partner, right? This might be things like your career trajectory and how you're going to move on. And be, this, is, this is the Midlands. This is those concerns and cares of life, right? They're a little bit deeper than the shallows, but we're not yet to our inmost being. See, our inmost being is deeper still. And when we get there, we find this is where love, joy, peace, hope, these things reside because these are the eternal things that are beyond this life and this world, right? And it's only when we get there, that's the place where God, when we come to faith in Jesus, sets up His residence within us through the Holy Spirit and by faith. And and that's where Jesus dwells inside of us. And so when we pray, yes, we pray to God our Father who is seated on the throne and in the heavenlies. Yes, we pray to Jesus who's our friend, who's alongside us and near, you know, in the room with us. But we also pray knowing the Holy Spirit is inside, in our inmost being, wanting, as Paul prays, to strengthen us through His glorious riches. You see it? Friends, this is, this is the moment. This is the call. This is what we need, I believe, in our souls to be renewed in this moment of depletion, right? This is what we need. And so that's why I say we need to practice prayer and fasting. Maybe you're like, okay, Clint, hold on, hold on. Why, why prayer and fasting? Well, David did a great job a few weeks ago during the Centered Sermon series to point out that actually, well, Jesus kind of expects it. You know, like if we were just, if we were just, like if we were actually those who could like take Jesus at His word and obey the things that He tells us, we would all be fasting. It would be normal practice, right? Because Jesus in John chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, which by the way, wasn't just for the disciples, it was for everyone, the multitudes who had gathered around. He says, and when you fast, 
It's not a if you fast. When you feel like it, you could fast. Maybe give this a go. No, it's an expectation. Actually, some scholars call it, it's an indirect command in the Scriptures. And in John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So he says he expects it, right? Jesus says, when you fast. And then later on, in Matthew chapter 9, some of the Pharisees, likely remembering what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 6, some of the Pharisees are like, they pulled Jesus up and they're like, hang on Jesus, you said, you know, when you fast, but I'm noticing none of your crew, none of your disciples are actually fasting. They don't even do the regular fast that we do two days a week. They're not even doing that. What's up with them? And he tells them in Matthew chapter 9, he says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Now, the bridegroom, Jesus is referring to himself in that moment. <laughs> when he goes and returns to heaven, he says, then they will fast. It's expected. Jesus gives these indirect commands right there in Matthew's gospel. And, 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 and you know, like, you know, if you're, you're a good follower of Jesus, you go, okay, cool, Jesus said it, I'll do it. It's not often how it works that way, because we all know, Lord Jesus, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, eh? And so we, we kind of opt out. But I want to, I like, unpack a little bit further this why, because it's actually not just that straightforward and simple, but we see in the Scriptures actually a number of ways in which God's people have fasted, and to this day, continue to fast. And I want to show us that one reason for fasting is to experience intimate union with God. There's a bunch of reasons to fast. Some people have fasted over the years, you read through the Scriptures, have fasted, you know, to mourn and grieve um, the loss of someone, someone near to them and dear to them. Someone, some, will, some will fast in response to um, sin being revealed in their own lives, or sin being revealed within the whole nation. Like, there's a number of times in the Old Testament where certain leaders of the nation of Israel at different points in time would call all of God's people together and declare a fast across the whole nation in mourning and grieving their sin and their separation from God. There was one time when, in, uh, in, in 1 Samuel, when the Ark of the Covenant symbolizing God's presence, was captured by the Philistines and taken off away from God's people. And they declared a fast for all of God's people because it was like God's presence is gone and removed from us. And they responded through fasting. This pattern shows up over and over and over again. But as I've been studying and thinking about, uh, David mentioned this in his, in his message a, a few weeks ago, um, my thinking on fasting has actually been helpfully informed and I've, I've learned a lot as I've been kind of studying and preparing for these three weeks, um, from Scott McKnight. He wrote a great book on, on fasting, and, and in particular, he lays out a pattern for us that's helpful framework to think about when it comes to fasting. Because oftentimes, when it comes to fasting, we think about it in this framework of A that leads to B that leads to C. Anyway, hang on, what, what? kind of looks like this. A a moment happens. It's a sacred moment. Things kind of blow up. There's sin that's revealed and everyone recognizes something's wrong here. So God's people respond, B, with fasting. Right? And then C is the results of that response. So the Scriptures give us oftentimes this testimony of God's incredible intervention and provision and deliverance and hope, and right? We, and so oftentimes, and this is how I've taught about fasting in the past, is we focus so much on the move from B to C. 
It's like if we can just get people to fast, then they'll experience the blessing and the provision and the, and, and, and the, and the presence of God in profound ways. And we focus on moving from B to C. You see it? But that's not actually the biblical pattern. We only know that those results come and those blessings and things come because we have hindsight and we see, we get to read all about it. The truth is, in the moment, they didn't have any guarantee from God saying that those things would happen. And the same is true for us. So the real move, and this is what Scott McKnight kind of really reminds us of in really helpful ways, the real focus of biblical fasting is that move from A to B. Friends, let me pull back the curtains on this is preacher talk for you in a, for a moment. This is why the whole purpose of the last 20 minutes of my message has been to unpack the moment we find ourselves in. Because I want you to recognize the need that we might respond with fasting. You see it? The need is great. We are not doing well, are we? That's in general terms. Think about the, the human project if you want to call it that, right? Humanity right now is not in a state of flourishing. We're not thriving. We're not crushing it, are we? No. We're in a state of depletion. And we need our souls to be healed through union with God. And so our response, if you go back to the, the, the A is, is to fasting, right? The, the A is the, is the need that we see. We're in this state of, of depletion. What do, we, what do God's people do? We respond with prayer and fasting. God gives no guarantees of the results or the outcomes, though fortunately they often come, and the Scriptures testify to that as well, right? But that's not the reason that we fast. If that were the reason that we fast, it would only be instrumental. Fasting would be instrumental. And that's not what God calls us to. You see it? So, let's, 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 so, so what we need is we need our souls to be healed through union with God. And the Scriptures show us over and over again that fasting is one way to foster intimate union with God. Yes, we need to be still, quiet ourselves and our souls that we might commune with God. Yes, we need stillness. Yes, we need silence. Yes, we need prayer. Yes, we need His Word. Yes, we need gathered worship. Yes, we need all of these other things, all these means of grace. But one of the ways that God draws us into intimate union with Him is through fasting. So, that's why we're talking about it. In fact, I want to do a quick scan through five significant um, individuals, people in the, in the Scriptures who showed this this link, this connection between fasting and intimate union with God. Five significant people. I mean, we're talking about Moses and Elijah, Daniel, Jesus himself, and the Apostle Paul. So we're going to just kind of skip through these, and, and it's important to recognize as we go through, again, let's keep that framework in mind. These people responded to a situation, and then God showed up and blessed them with this incredible intimate union, right? They didn't, there was no guarantee of that coming on the back end. So, as we go, let's keep this in mind as we go um, all the way through. So, these five most significant figures in the Bible in, uh, who, who experienced intimate union with God. Moses, we want to see this 
show up. So Moses has um, this remarkable story who um, he actually, apart from Jesus, experienced that union with God perhaps more than anyone else in the Bible. You know, the, the Old Testament tells us that he had a conversation with God, told us that God showed him his glory, showed us that like Moses would speak to God and God would respond with thunder, you know, like all these things going on. Like it, this remarkable verse, you know, where, where he would come down after being with God and, and the people responded by saying, your face is like shining, we can't even look at it, you know, like the, uh, when, he, when he came back down. But, but here's, here's this incredible story where God says, show me your glory, um, and then God answers his prayer, displays his glory to Moses. And here's, here's, here's what it says in Exodus 34, verses 6 through 9. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty by visiting the, by, by visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. He said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, so pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. Why bring up this experience where Moses is begging God to continue with them and continue His presence leading and guiding them? It's because immediately prior to this, we see that Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. It says he was there with the Lord, 40 days and 40 nights, he neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets all the words according to the covenant, the Ten Commandments. It's an extreme fast. No food, no water. That's only possible supernaturally, right? He was miraculously and supernaturally sustained by God. We know the human body can't go that long without water, right? So God does this incredible thing, but he has this intimate, incredible sense of union with God. He comes back down, and, uh, and, and, and God continues on. See, there's this sense in which God's presence is so sacred that humans naturally respond by fasting. It was, it was as if in that moment, Moses, the thought of eating would like desecrate the moment. You know what I mean? The thought of eating and drinking would like take something, no, no, no there's something so much more significant this, the, the going on here. And, I, and, and, and in order to be fully caught up in it and fully awakened to this moment, he couldn't bear the thought of thinking and eating. And this is the truth, right? And so, um, and so that's, that's, that's Moses. In, in Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 19, a similar story is told of Elijah, where he's frightened to death because he's had death threats coming from this woman named Jezebel, and she's pretty powerful, so she could, she could probably deliver on those, right? And so he, fl he flees and runs out into the wilderness, and he sits down under this solitary broom tree and falls asleep. An angel wakes him up and says, here, here's this, uh, you know, this bread that I've made and I baked it on the stone. You should eat that. And this jug of water, you should drink that. He does and he falls back asleep again. The angel wakes him up a second time, says, no, no, eat some more, drink some more. You're going to need it because then he goes on a journey, 40 days through the wilderness. Again, a supernatural fast, only sustained by, by God through the wilderness and arrives eventually at the, at the mountain where he has another, this profound encounter with God, the very presence of God manifest, passing him by. So Elijah experiences this incredible sense of union with God right on the heels of fasting. We see the connection, right? Daniel, 
In Daniel chapter 9 and 10, we see he too fasted and had these intimate union moments with God. We know that Daniel turned to the Lord God to seek an answer by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. That's what it says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. And he was heard. But being heard is only part of it because Daniel also received these incredible visions and answers to prayer as the result of that communion with God that helped to prepare. Uh, so he, essentially, like he was prepared for that union through the journey of fasting. And sometime later, after mourning for three weeks, you know, observing the partial fast of no, no, you know, delicacies and nice meats and wines and anointing and all that stuff, he put it all aside. And then he has this other vision that shows up in Daniel chapter 10. That's just remarkable. This link shows up again and again and again. Jesus in Luke chapter 4. We see right after his baptism, is led into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and nights, just like Moses, just like Elijah. And Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus ate nothing at all during those days, Luke chapter 4, verse 2. And then helpfully, it tells us he was hungry. <laughs> I can imagine so, right? Again, supernatural fast, you know, God sustaining in, in, in profound ways. But before he ate anything, Jesus was visited by the devil. And the devil shows up and tempts him in some pretty significant ways. He's tempted to eat by ending his fast before the appointed time. He tempts Jesus to, you know, assert his rightful control and authority over all the kingdoms of this world, again, before his appointed time. And he resists that as well. Jesus is then tempted to jump recklessly from the pinnacle of the temple and save himself, you know, again, without his appointed authority and divine permission. And so, you know, some, some consider that maybe these were just kind of hallucinations that Jesus had. You know, after all, he was just fasting for 40 days and nights. Who knows what the brain might start doing? But I don't think that's true. I think this was a real visitation by a real enemy of the soul trying to steal, kill, and destroy the work of God that was going on. And you see this intimate union with God. You see, I think, perfect. This is... In Jesus, in, in Luke chapter 4, it's this profound example of being strengthened in our inner being so that we can withstand the temptations from the enemy. Paul, 2 Corinthians, tells the story over and over again how he'd been, you know, physically weakened by afflictions. And, you know, just after Paul mentions that he'd been weakened often through fasting, he speaks of himself in the third person and he says, Funnily, he goes, you know, he, you know, I know a person who was in Christ who had been lifted up from earth into the third heaven. And he goes on to tell this story, this vision of, of, of things that, that he heard from God that he wasn't permitted to speak and, and, and these experiences that he wasn't. He, but those weren't the things that he boasted in. He didn't boast in like the, the remarkable, mystical kind of like moments. No, he boasted in his weaknesses. If you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that's what Paul boasts in, in his weaknesses and particularly in his fasting, which was part of that. And, and, and you know, I think that it's important for us to recognize that the text in all of these texts, in all of these examples, we observe a pattern, right? People experience intimate union with God through fasting. But it's not a guarantee. None of these texts explicitly say, and if you'll fast, you'll experience intimate union. We've just seen, it just kind of, like, this is, this is, there's a connection here, but it's not a guarantee. Does that, is, you know, is that helpful? Like, is, is this making sense? Like, there's a connection here, we can't help but notice it. It's a pattern that plays out again and again throughout the Scriptures, but we cannot 
assume, predict, you know, count on and, and, and expect that it's true. See, the Bible and the wisdom of the ages confirm that fasting and union with God are connected. They are connected. But what needs to be emphasized is, is what, what these traditions reveal. And, and as Scott McKnight writes, he says, fasting is a response to a sacred moment and not just an instrumental act we use to get what we want. See, we, we may sit here this morning and think about all the things that we want. And the tendency is, like a, like a toddler, or maybe more like a teenager, let's be honest, is we'll use our fasting as a way to kind of twist God's arm, right? As a way to like kind of, okay, God, look at me. Hey, I'm doing all these things. You know, you said do this and do this and do this. You said, and when you fast, and I'm fasting. So now when are you going to give me that job? When are you going to show up with this? That's not how it works. Nowhere in the Scriptures do we get that explicit guarantee. But what we do see is a consistent pattern that plays out again and again and again, that when we go in, we recognize the need and we respond in prayer and fasting that God meets us in those things. It might meet us in ways that we're not expecting. He might, he might bring blessings and things that actually we hadn't thought that we even needed. But what I am pretty sure of is that God will, whether we're conscious of it or not, out of his, but He will, out of His inexhaustible, glorious riches, strengthen us in our inner beings and friends that's my hope that's my heart that's what i long for that's what i want more of and that's good reason to fast hey the team's going to come and we're going to respond here in a moment but why the call to prayer and fasting because in this moment of depletion i think it's an appropriate response to the need that is pretty dire and pretty great and if you're anything like me, you know, I could stand up here and say, well, Jesus says we should fast, so it's a good idea, let's give it a go, right? I just don't think that's enough. I think our coping mechanisms, our coping strategies, our deformation according in the ways of the world is actually so strong and so prevalent in our souls that actually we need something to kind of shake us a little bit. We need something to kind of like waken us up to the reality of depletion in our souls, to the reality of this discipleship crisis, not on behalf of everyone else, but in me. That we need something like hunger pangs during the week to remind me, oh, oh, my soul is hungry for you, God. Give, I need your presence. Strengthen me in my inner being out of your glorious riches. We need that kind of embodied reminder, I think, because otherwise we're pretty good at justifying and explaining and avoiding, aren't we? I know I am, and I'm guessing you probably are too. So the team's going to lead us in a song in a moment here, and I just want to invite you, because here's the, here's the homework um, for this week as we prepare, remember the next three weeks are about preparing for a season of prayer and fasting. And this is just week one. So we're not going the whole hog, right? And we're not starting the fast tomorrow. We're not doing, you know, here's, here's what we're doing in order to prepare. Is this week, friends, let's get really clear on the A, on that, pra on that progression, on that pattern. What is the A? What is the sacred moment right now? 
For you, maybe it is just recognizing the state of depletion in your soul. Maybe for some of you, it's recognizing, actually, this, this person, Jesus, who you talk about, I don't even know Him at all, and I want to get to know Him. I want to know what it means to have rivers of living water flow from me. And so, I think it's an invitation for us to lean into those things this week. But let's get clear on the sacred moment, because it might be slightly different for each one of us. Maybe, you know, I've said, like, I, I have these great tendencies to avoid, but maybe that's not your thing. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it is a grief. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a, I, I don't know what it might be, but what is the moment? Let's nail that, name it, get it really clear this week. And maybe you know it already in this moment. Maybe it'll take some time over this week to sit with God and ask Him to take you through, take me beyond the shallows, take me through the mid, the, you know, that, that, that mid ground, take me to the deeper parts, my inmost place, Lord where you want to meet me, where you want to heal me, where you want to renew me. And what is it? What is the need? What is the sacred moment that you might give a focus to and purpose to the fast? Well, thanks for listening. We hope this teaching has served you well and that you've sensed something of God's voice speaking to you. If there's any way that we can help or pray for you, support you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. You can find out our contact info on our website at thewellnz.org or flick us an email at support at thewellnz.org. God bless you. We look forward to hearing from you soon.